Our scripture passage this morning is taken from 2 Corinthians 8 onwards, where we read the following. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. And the apostle here is talking about the churches in Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea. Berea, the church that is distinctive in the sense that they diligently search the scriptures to see whether the words that the apostles spoke to them were true. And they, they saw that it was. The churches of Macedonia, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also genuine. For we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, <coughs> that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but able to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by you completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their needs so that their abundance may supply your needs and that there may be fairness. There's this word again. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiently in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. 
as it is written, he has distributed free. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. Well, they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. The word of the Lord. Please pray with me. <clears throat> Merciful God and Father of us all, having just read the inspired words of the Apostle Paul, we can only stand in awe of what a group of young believers did so shortly after they had accepted this good news. How, by grace, they moved to do way more than what was expected. There are lessons for us, Lord, and I ask that as we hear and internalize the words of Pastor Andrew, please, words we believe to have been laid on his heart, we may be moved to be just that, generous. Generous with our time, generous with our talents in various fields, generous in praying for one another, sharing each other's burdens, and generous with the funds you have so abundantly blessed us with. This in the name of our precious Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave his all so that we may live. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning. I wish we had a, a couple of hours just to sit and talk about this passage. It's such a, a rich and full passage, and I think just so encouraging, filled with grace from beginning to end. But we're not going to do that today. We're going to uh, march our way through it and... I, Hopefully, we'll be able to operate a bit as a tour guide for you today, pointing out some really crucial things that I think God wants us to, to wrestle with and to reckon with when it comes to this idea of generosity. I don't know what you think about when you think about generosity. Uh, maybe you think of uh, periods in your own life when people have been generous to you, uh, generous perhaps with monetary gifts, generous with uh, time just coming alongside you in the midst of a, of a difficult time. Maybe they've been generous uh, permanently opening their home or uh, so many different ways in which we can be generous with one another. 
We want to wrestle with this morning is how generosity uh, is really shorthand for the gospel. Uh, when we talk about the gospel, we talk about good news, uh, good news of great joy that shall be to all people. Would it be fair to say that generosity equals the gospel? I'm going to argue or contend a little bit that, that it does. Uh, generosity marks us as people, and it's interesting that it comes to us at this point because, you know, we've been looking at 2 Corinthians, and when we started way back in the beginning, we said a couple of things. One, it's a book where Paul is really coming alongside the Corinthian church to point out to them the comfort that God is giving this church. And his mission at the beginning was to connect to them the comfort that they received then with the comfort that they give other people. So maybe it's not completely surprising, but it's somewhat surprising when we come to chapters 7 like we did a couple of weeks ago and 8 and 9 like we do now, that in the midst of talking about comfort for a people, he starts talking about ways uh, of self-denial. We're moving away from self in a certain sense. You know, repentance, chapter 7. You have to acknowledge your unworthiness in order to be comfort. Like, wait a minute, that, that seems sort of backwards. Shouldn't we say how much we deserve it and how, uh, you know, how welcome we are and all of these things? That's where we will get comfort. And Paul says, no. Uh, you move in a different direction. Or if it's comfort, it, it's by having stuff around us. You know, that is where we're going to get comfort. When all of my needs are met and when I have abundance of everything. And Paul says, no, actually, it's very different. Uh, there is a, we are comforted when we learn the secret of generosity. Uh, and when generosity begins to mark our lives from beginning to end, we will experience comfort. So, we'll move through the passage this way. Let's just start then with this surprising suggestion of generosity. Uh, I couldn't decide between surprise and suggestion, but I had to go to print uh, on Thursday. I probably would have chose surprise because, like I said, it, 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 it's a non sequitur in a certain sense. You're talking about comfort, but now you're talking about generosity. What's, what gives? Well, Paul is very clear to say uh, that, that generosity belongs in the category of grace. So a few statistics here. Uh, charis, the Greek word for grace, is used 18 times uh, in 2 Corinthians. Ten of those times it's used in chapter 8 and 9. Five of those times it's used just in the first five verses of chapter 8. Uh, so there is a grace cluster uh, that is right here when Paul starts to talk about generosity. Who is the grace for? Well, obviously, you know, we are recipients of grace. You saw that in verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches. We are recipients of God's grace. We're going to talk about that at length. Uh, as we go throughout the passage. But there's a second aspect to grace that is really, really important. And that is not just that we are recipients of grace, but that we are participants in grace. We participate in the grace of God. You see that most clearly in verse 4 of chapter 8, 
where he's talking about the Macedonian churches who were begging us earnestly for the, the word there is actually charis, for the grace of taking part in the relief of the saints. Uh, they understood this group of churches in Macedonia, Philippi, Berea, Thessalonica, they understood that part of, you know, their flourishing uh, in the kingdom of God involved them being participators in the grace of God. And they, they wanted to, to be a part of that. They wanted to be a conduit. They wanted to flow through the grace of God. They wanted that to flow through. It kind of returns to that at the end uh, of, of 9, where he talks about this inexpressible gift, and it's all of it, right? It's both what we receive as well as what we give. This is generosity, and this is, uh, this is part of the comfort that we receive. Verses uh, 11 of, of 9, he, he speaks of, you know, you will be enriched in every way for uh, your generosity, for all your generosity, or as it says, uh, uh, you be rich in every way to be generous in every way. Uh, there is a, a breadth to this generosity in which we participate. And it's important, I think, to say at the beginning that as we participate, <coughs> <coughs> sorry about that, as we participate, we become participators in this generosity. It, there's all kinds of ways that we do that. You know, we, we think immediately uh, of money. And these are, you know, certain things in our culture. Get your hands off my money. Get your hands off my body. Get your hands off my free time. Get your hands off my kitchen table. All of these different things. There's sort of these borders that are erected in our culture. But Paul is saying, you know, our generosity, we participate in every way. In every, every way, with, with our money, with our, with our bodies. You know, we read in, in Romans chapter 12 that in view of the mercies of God, we are to offer our bodies as living sacrifices to the Lord, not holding back anything, uh, but, but offering our, our very physical selves to the Lord, uh, offering our, our homes, our safety, our security, our free time, all of these things. You know, God says, this is part of what it means to be generous. Part of the reason we see this is that generosity, we especially see this with these Macedonian churches, verses 1 to 7 of chapter 8. Our generosity is not dependent on our external circumstances. What verse is that? Is it verse 2 or verse 3? Uh, the churches in the Macedonia, for in a severe test of affliction... Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. This is part of what is so surprising about this. It's not only surprising that God calls us to be generous as a part of our comfort with Him, but it's surprising in that He says, your external circumstances have no bearing on your ability to be generous. Your external circumstances, in fact, you know, if we are looking at sort of the message of 2 Corinthians as a whole, he's saying actually it's your weakness that makes you strong. It's your poverty that makes you rich. Uh, so 
you know, your, your, the call to be generous that Paul has given it, it is not dependent on a strong economy. You know, the, the call to be generous is, is not dependent upon, you know, your uh, evaluation of how much discretionary time that you have. It's not even dependent on your evaluation completely of your ability or giftedness to be able to meet a particular need, as we're going to see as we continue walking through this passage. As such, generosity takes faith. And, you know, we, we talk about this, and we're still in this first part, you know, the suggestion of generosity. Generosity is the way to comfort. Generosity is not dependent on our external circumstances. Generosity is an act of faith. It's do we believe, are we, are we really believing the gospel at this point? You know, if, if God is calling me to be generous, do I believe that he will supply my every need, as we're going to talk about in a little bit, do I, really, do I really believe that? Because if I really believe it, if I'm anchored, if I'm right there, I, I am so much more free to give of resources, give up time, you know. Do I really believe that God is the source of my pleasure? You know, because if I do, I can forego, you know, the entertainment that I'm so conditioned for. When we believe, we dig down into the promises, that's what sort of, you know, blows the rubble of our hearts out of the way and allows the streams to course. So, that's the suggestion, somewhat surprising suggestion uh, of generosity for a church who is seeking to, to, to be comforted in the grace of God. The second thing that we want to look at are the specifics of the generosity that Paul is talking about. Now, you have to go back a little bit, and I'll give you a little context. There is a, a collection that Paul is taking for the church in Jerusalem who is undergoing a famine. Uh, a couple of things that you need to note. Uh, the first is this, the Jerusalem church was not very wealthy, uh, and some of these Gentile churches were. Corinth was a wealthy town, and uh, so one of the things that Paul did is he was taking, uh, going around to these churches and collecting for the church back here. But this continues a pattern that has sprung up in the New Testament church where churches were not only thinking of their immediate local needs. In Acts chapter 11, we see sort of the first example of international aid. Uh, in Acts chapter 11, the church in Antioch takes up a collection for the church in Jerusalem, still around the famine issues that were there. And uh, Paul and Barnabas uh, were commission to take that offering there, uh, international relief for that area. And then in Acts chapter 15, when they had the Jerusalem conference and they decided that, you know, the gospel was not only for the Jews, but it was for the Gentiles as well, uh, that uh, in Galatians chapter 2, as Paul talks about it, they established that. But one of the things that the Jerusalem churches said is that make sure you don't forget about our needs 
here. And, and Paul says that was the very thing we were eager to do. We were eager you know, to, to connect people in order to be generous and to continue to allow this generosity to flow. So there's a very specific need here that is outside of their community that Paul is eager to collect for. He's eager to push into the lives of the people of Corinth. Remember, he talked about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. He says, when you come together the first day of the week, make sure that you are giving for this need. He's eager to plug into that, and now this is what he's calling them to finish that. Finish the, the work of collection that you have done. So a couple of comments uh, on that as we look at the specifics of this need. You know, one is this. We, we need to... In addition to taking care of the stuff at home, right, Acts has this, uh, the story of the New Testament church has this sort of interior needs, exterior look. Interior needs, exterior look. It's, it's always an in and out sort of thing. So we absolutely need to take care of, you know, ministry needs here. We absolutely need to continue to look at our community very closely but biblically, we see strong evidence that we need to be aware of what is going on in the world. And we need to be respondent to what is going on in the world. Now, you wake up this morning and it's not hard, right? You know, you, you look at uh, the wildfires that are raging in California and the destruction, the loss of life, the loss of property, the loss of everything. You know, one of the things that Paul is saying here is that we have a responsibility to those churches in particular, you know, always starting with the household of God, Paul says in Galatians chapter 6, uh, we have a responsibility to, to meet those needs. We have a responsibility to meet the needs on the panhandle of Florida and North Carolina and Puerto Rico and other places that have recently been affected by the hurricanes. You know, we have a responsibility as those who have not experience those hardships to meet those hardships for people that we find and it's not only in america and it's not only uh in churches you know we know of pca churches in the panhandle in california that were wiped out you know we have a disaster relief branch of the uh of the denomination that our deacons have been tapped into we sent a team down to work at some hurricane relief in Texas. We're sending another team out uh, to do some hurricane relief in North Carolina. These are things that, that we need to do, but it's also internationally, and it's also, you know, in the broader church. You know, as we see folks, brothers and sisters in the Lord who are in need, whether it be in Egypt or whether it be uh, in Korea or wherever it may be, uh, we have a responsibility, maybe we'll put it this way, I mean this is the way that Paul puts it, we have an opportunity, a privilege uh, to, to respond. And one of the things that Paul says is this is the evidence of grace in your heart. I think Paul was really in earnest for the Corinthians because there was that question, you know, between Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. How do we know about these Gentile Christians, whether they really got the gospel? And so Paul is saying things like, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also genuine. This was an opportunity to display 
the, the tremendous grace of God that has taken root in our hearts and sets us free uh, to, to, to go above and beyond with regards to our generosity. So there are so many opportunities. Now, I'm talking some about money. You know, we actually have in our Advent offerings this year, we take a collection of offerings over and above the general uh, gifts during the Advent season. Uh, we divide it between four. One of them is for this disaster relief. You know, we have the opportunity to give, but you also have the opportunity to go. Uh, because part of generosity is money, but part of it, as I've already alluded to, is every other aspect of our life. You know, it's, it's an adoption month. I referenced that last week. Uh, we think about, you know, the, those who are orphaned or, you know, refugees. We continually get things from Bethany Christian Services every week begging for foster homes. We have so many people who are unaccompanied minors that we cannot place because we do not have adequate homes. Uh, we have the opportunity to be generous uh, with our homes, with our tables, with our lives. Is it going to take time? Absolutely. Is it going to cut into your me time? Of course it is. Uh, but we have the opportunity and the privilege to be generous in all of these areas, uh, to go above and beyond. And Paul gives us a couple of principles here with regards to the specifics. First is the principle of, of equity. You see that um, at the end of, of chapter, of this section in chapter 8, 13 to 15. I don't mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but right now, as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need that their abundance may supply your need at a different time. You know, right now, you have the ability, Paul is saying to the church in Corinth, and so make this your act of worship. You know, make this your, uh, your willingness to plug into these needs. You have that ability. Paul's not arguing communism here. Paul is just simply saying, like, if you've been blessed, it is for the purpose, it is for the purpose of sharing that blessing. You know, and I think, you know, so much foundationally comes in with how do we understand the things that God gives us. I, I hear people from time to time uh, in my orbit say, I, I've made enough money in my life. I don't really need to work anymore. Uh, and that's great. They, they have the ability to retire. But part of me wonders if they've really understood, you know, what the purpose of making money was for at the beginning. You know, if, if God has blessed you with that ability to make money and you come to that point where, where your needs are covered for the rest of your life, then by all means, keep working and give it away. You know, give it away. You're, the purpose is not for you, right? The purpose has always been what can we do for the kingdom? What can we do for others? And if God has given you that gift, praise the Lord. I, I would be a terrible entrepreneur. I don't get it. You know, I don't know how to. But if God has given you that gift, then, then utilize that. Keep making money, but give it away. Don't be settled for 10%. You know, go to 25%, 50%, 80%, 90%, 100%. Like if you get to that point where you don't need any money and you can give 100% away, praise the Lord. 
That is the kind of generosity that, that God is calling for in our life. God is calling for us to push out uh, beyond the bounds. I, I sometimes hear this, you know, questioning about 10%. Well, you know, that was kind of an Old Testament thing. Does God really, you know, have still the principle of the tithe in the New Testament? Well, happy to sit down and look at that with you. I, I do think the principle of the tithe is, is in the New Testament in a number of places. But part of me says, like, if we're going Old Testament to New Testament, and, and Old Testament looked forward to the coming of Christ, who sacrificed everything, gave up the riches of heaven for the poverty of the earth in order that through his poverty we might become rich, do we think that the standard in the New Testament is going to be less? No, no, absolutely not. The standard is going to be more, I mean, because Jesus gave everything, and that is the standard by which we measure ourselves. You know, they're, they're, 10%, it's a good starting place, but we need to be blowing the doors off of 10%, and I'm not just talking about money. In, in fact, I might not even be primarily talking about money. Uh, in terms of our whole life, and the dedication that we have uh, to the Lord. One other thing just with regards to this idea of, of um, specifics of generosity. You know, diaconal work. I'm so grateful for the work of our deacons. They point us in a direction. We give as we have opportunity. There's that equity uh, but then there is also this idea of joy. We see that in 6 and 7. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. This is an Old Testament principle. Cast your bread upon the waters, the writer of the Ecclesiastes says. And he says, watch, it'll return to you 11-fold. Now, a couple of things. One, that is not the prosperity gospel. You know, we, we are not saying here that the more you give, the more you'll get. In fact, this passage, you look at the Macedonians, they, they were giving out of their extreme poverty. It wasn't that they had all kinds of money and now they could continue to give to God's church. They were given in the midst of affliction out of severe poverty. So we're not talking about the prosperity gospel, but we are talking about a deep satisfaction that God gives us and it releases this joy. You know, it's not a command in the sense of, well, you better do this. You know, you got to measure up to what God is saying. You have the responsibility. You're not giving 10%. You know, you're in deep trouble. That's, that's not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying here, when the gospel gets a hold of our hearts, it sets us free for generosity in ways that, that we didn't think was possible. And that's where we want to go. What is the source of generosity? I don't know if you know, but in 2017, $410 billion was given to charitable foundations in the U.S. It was the first time that uh, the U.S. had crossed the $400 billion mark with regards to that. One of the articles that I read about that, it said, uh, powered by a strong economy and a healthy stock market, we were able to cross those barriers. But you see the problem with that, right? It may be true on, on a certain level, but if it was powered by that, if that's what enabled it, if it was the surplus, the overflow, 
that's not going to last because the stock market's going to crash, right? And, and there's going to be an adjustment. Maybe there already is in some of these things. Uh, there's going to be an adjustment. And then that doesn't say anything about, you know, the Christians in, uh, in Turkey and their ability to give or the Christians in Afghanistan or the Christians in North, North Korea. God doesn't judge giving simply by how much we give. You know, one of the things that Paul says here is that we have a source that goes beyond the power in the market. We have a source that goes beyond simply what we have. Look at what that source is. The first thing is this, uh, chapter 9, verses 8 to 11, God supplies us presently. Uh, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency, having all sufficiency in all things at all times. That's a lot of alls. But he is making the point, like, you have everything you need now to be generous. Having all sufficiency in all things at all times, uh, God is able to make uh, make you abound so that having, I already said that, here we go. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, and that's us. We are the poor. We are the poor in spirit. We are the ones who are absent of the grace of God. He's given to the poor. He's given to us. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower, bread for food, he will supply the things that you need and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for all your generosity, which produces thanksgiving before God. This is the perfect week to begin talking about this, right? You know, thanksgiving, thanksgiving so tied to our generosity. But God says, what is your ultimate, you know, what is your freedom? for being generous. I got your back. God will give you everything that you need to be generous. So we have such a, an invitation, such a freedom to be generous. Be generous in opening your homes this Thanksgiving. To be generous in, in, in putting aside your entertainment for the choice and going to pursue, you know, working in a, on a homeless shelter or going downtown. To put aside, you know, your, your 85% of your money and to increase your, your giving to 20% of your income. Freedom in all of these things. We have the freedom. Listen. God will supply everything that you need in every way. Do you think you can outgive God? I think sometimes we live that way because we hold on so tight to these things that we think that we need. We, we want to grab it. We want to hold it. And God says, trust me. Trust me. I, I see your needs. And I will supply everything that you need for health and for happiness. All of these things. Now, may not look exactly like what the world says, but you will have joy and thanksgiving that goes beyond a checkbook, that goes beyond a healthy market. So he supplies our, our present needs, but he, and I say, 
Why? Because it's rooted in his supply of our eternal needs or sort of the cosmic needs that we have in Jesus Christ. You look at 8 verse 9. You know, Jesus Christ who was able to leave the riches of heaven uh, and take on poverty so that we through his poverty, we the poor ones through his poverty might become rich. You see, God so loved that he gave. Kelly Capick, who is a theologian, professor at Covenant College, uh, he wrote a wonderful book on generosity. A and his point is, is this, like generosity is the heart of the gospel. If you say John 3.16 captures so much the heart of the gospel, then you recognize that God so loved, he gave. You know, this is what it means to be gospel people, that we find our meaning for life, as we sang, at the cross. You know, that is where it all comes together as we recognize the riches of heaven, which the Son of God left, the safety of relationships that the Son of God left, the discretionary time with people that he loved or beings that he loved that the Son of God left in order to empty himself of those things that we, through his poverty, might become rich. Do we see, do we see the beauty of the generosity that God has, been, has given to us? And listen, we don't deserve it. You know, sometimes I, I think about generosity, and we need to think about these things. We want to be good givers. We want to check stewardship. This is why I wish we had a couple hours to talk about these things. Uh, we, we need to make sure we're actually helping people rather than enabling people. We need to think about that. But think about this. God did not only pour out his grace upon people who were going to use it wisely. I can say that as a fact because he gave his grace to me. And I have not always used it wisely. In fact, the times that I actually use it wisely probably are way smaller than the times that I abuse his grace. But such is the grace of God that he comes to rebels like you and me. And he says, here you go. Let me take my riches and give them to you. And let me take your poverty on my son. And he'll nail it to the cross and he'll give you a new life in him. Again, Kelly Capick says this, the gospel is shaped by generosity. God's generosity buys us out of bondage and brings us to the blessing of belonging to him. But the good news is this, not only are we recipients, but we are participants in the movement of divine generosity. Praise be to him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this movement of divine generosity. Where would we be? Where would we be without your generous activity in our life. Father, we pray that that would grow more and more in our hearts. May we see the all-encompassing beauty of the generosity. May we know your provision, and may we worship, may we respond with grace, may we trust and rest 
in these promises that you have given to us. Lord, do this in our heart and soul. And then we know, we know the, the clenched hands will be released. Uh, the bottled up mind shafts will be blown open. And, and the overflow of your blessing will, will respond to others. But start with our hearts, Lord. Help us to rest in the beauty of Christ. We pray this all in his name. Amen.